Thanks for listening to The Rivers Podcast. For more information on this teaching, visit our website at theriver.info. So last week, Rob talked about new wineskins, and you got the gist of it, correct? Who, who was here last week? Quite a few of us? Good. You want to be a new wineskin, basically, because if you're an old wineskin and God puts something new into you, you will explode. And we don't want anyone exploding in this church. We want this church to be, and we want to be people who can hold new things that God has for us so that he can move us into new places to love new people and to help new people. So today I'm hoping to follow up with Rob's teaching by giving us something new to put in to us. And I want that something new to challenge us to become new wineskins, and I also hope that it allows us to love people better. I have a lot of notes, and so forgive me if you see me reading some. But since I love controversy, for the sake of political controversy, I have decided to title this message, Make the Banquet Great Again. Because the parable I'm teaching on today is found in Luke chapter 14, and it's titled, The Parable of the Great Banquet. And honestly, not taking any political sides, and I don't really care who any of us voted for, to be honest, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I don't care. I am aware of the notion that our current president was elected based on a slogan, Make America Great Again. And it got a lot of people rallied, a lot of people who look like me specifically. But it made me think about something, and it made me wonder some things. Make America Great Again. And the first question that came to my mind when I heard that was, Make America Great Again for who? Because if you ask any Native Americans in this country what making America great again might look like, I would imagine they might have a slightly different answer than white America. There might be a little bit of a difference of opinion on what it means to make America great again. And, and I have asked, and if you were to ask some of my um, black or Latino or immigrant friends what it means to make America great again, they, they love the idea of making America great, but the word again doesn't really fit in their way of thinking about this country. And so I've titled this message, Make the Banquet Great Again, because God has something more for us as Jesus followers than to align ourselves with certain political candidates, ideas, systems of thought, or slogans. It's where you say amen. As Jesus followers, God has something more for us than to align ourselves with certain political slogans. Jesus wants to change our lifestyle. God wants to change our lifestyle, not the way 
you vote. He wants to change your lifestyle, and if that happens to change the way you vote, so be it. But he wants to change the way you spend and I spend our time and our energy. He wants us to follow this revolutionary idea that started 2,000 years ago and is called The Jesus Way. There is actually a book titled The Jesus Way written by Eugene Peterson, author of The Message, and I recommend this book if you are interested in learning more about some ideas about The Jesus Way. We, and if you can agree with me, please do, because I'm the kind of guy who needs affirmation about every five minutes in my life. We are not here to make anything great again but the kingdom of God. And as abstract as that can sound, it can be incredibly practical. As abstract as this idea, Lord, let your kingdom come. We're going to call God's kingdom to your shoulder and your arm and your life. And as abstract as that sounds, it's actually incredibly practical. And so we begin with today's parable in Luke 14. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Way to go, religious guy. That's a great thing to say to Jesus. I'm not sure he has any idea what he's talking about. But that's what he says. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, which prompts Jesus to tell a story. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another, so he's polite, at least. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring the poor Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. That's really fast. I don't know how he did it that fast. Jesus miracle. What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. There's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I love this. I love it so much. Verse 15, and feel free to follow along with the slides if you want. If not, I am totally fine. Verse 15, we find early on that Jesus was giving this parable while eating a meal with people. 
he's giving this teaching while eating a meal. A, a man named Gil um, Bailey, who uh, teaches religion, says, The meals Jesus shared with outcasts were not simply the occasion for the delivery of his message. They were his message. The meals Jesus shared with outcasts were not just the occasion for him to deliver a message. They actually were his message. So we find at the start of this parable, Jesus is in the middle of doing his ministry, sharing a meal, and then he begins to talk about his ministry. You following? Good. Verse 16 through 20, this is pretty simple. We don't need to spend a lot of time here. You guys get it. These people are too busy to come to the banquet. They're just too busy. It's not necessarily the things that they're doing are bad. Got a bought a field, need to check on it. Bought some oxen, want to go ride them or whatever you do with oxen. <laughs> just got married. They're just simply too busy. Verse 21. Now, this is where I think we need to have a little insight. We often assume in these parables that Jesus tells that the master is God. And for most of them, this is usually the case, including this one. However, if you pay really close attention to the parables, you may notice that Jesus tends to give the God characters in his parables human qualities. So, in my opinion, you know, the same way God sent Jesus to become a man so that we could better understand God, sometimes in Jesus' parables, he allows the characters in his stories, the God character, to sometimes possess human tendencies. All of that is my very long way of saying the master in this parable is not all-knowing. He's learning along the way. He's learning something. And the lesson is this. Even though he's planning something amazing that will bring many people together to love each other, that will bring many people to the same table where they'll all come to the same place and eat the same food and sit at the same table, not everyone is interested in this invitation. He put his time and energy into something that is beautiful and got the finest food and the finest decorations and he lit the candles and he prepared and he said it's all ready for everyone to come together and be one and celebrate each other and spend time together and come, become equal. One thing about eating meals with people that makes us equal is we're all eating the same food. I don't come to your house for dinner and bring a lobster. I eat whatever you've prepared and we are on the same page. And so the master learns that even though with all of this effort to create something beautiful, not everyone's interested. Some people are too busy for parties. So the master learns that the people that he invited that he thought would be eager and willing to spend time being present to others actually were too busy to spend their time and energy looking into another person's eyes and sharing a meal. They had to check on their field. They had to care for their own family. They had to care for the thing that was going to be the provision for them. 
And this makes the master what? Angry. If you want to read the Matthew version of this story, he gets so angry that he kills everyone that doesn't want to attend. Not my favorite version. But it means to me that God is more concerned about our ability to love another person than he is about our ability to care for ourselves. I'm going to say that again. It means to me that God is more concerned about our ability to love another person than he is about our ability to care for ourselves. Now I understand the Bible says love your neighbor as you love yourself, so before you shoot that rubber band up at me, I want you to understand that I said care for. God is more concerned about our ability to love another person than he is about our ability to care for ourselves. To care for ourselves, there's a difference. So he sends his servant out to compel the least, the lost, and the lonely to come to this banquet with him. See our sign in the lobby, the river we seek to be about the least, the lost, and the lonely. So the master sends his servant out to compel the least and lost and the lonely to come and eat. You have to compel the least, the lost, and the lonely because they already don't feel invited. And if you do invite them, they probably think it's some type of prank or trick. So he has to spend time convincing and compelling someone who's never been invited to come. And in that moment, the table changes. There was a whole group of people who were invited. And now they're no longer invited. And the clothing changes that's required to come. Like, the master probably has to provide clothing now for the people who are coming. And it's probably better than the clothing that the people who were actually invited in the first place were wearing. He might even have to provide showers for the people who are coming. He might even have to train them on etiquette for what it means to be at his banquet. Because, I mean, this is a God banquet. I'm not talking about, like, you're going to Trump Tower to eat there and you need to understand how to hold your fork. I'm, I'm talking about entering something with the king of kings. And he's going to the least, the lost, and the lonely, and instead of filling it up with the people who were initially invited who didn't have the time to attend his banquet, he goes out and finds the least, the lost, and the lonely. The table changes. The master learns something. The entire environment of the party and the table changes. Why? He's bringing a different culture to the table. He invited one subculture. They said no. Why? That's probably just what that subculture does. They're too busy. And so he went to a group of people who normally wouldn't be invited, and he said, I think they're a better group to hang out with. It's going to take a little work to convince them to come, but if I can convince them to come, we're going to have a really great party. And so he does that. Verse 22 and 23, the servant returns and says, we still have more room. And the master says, then go further and get more people. I don't want anyone I invited to come. They're going to miss out on the party. I want this party so filled with the least, the lost, and the lonely 
that there's no room for anyone who is too busy to love another person. I want this party filled up so much with the least and the lost and the lonely that there's no room for anyone who's too busy to love another person or anyone who would look down on another person or not pay attention to another person. You can't be texting at this party. Now, in this country, we usually have the tendency to relate to either the victim or the hero of the story. You're either the victim being rescued or you're the hero saving someone. That's just how our movies are. I am Katniss Everdeen, who saved the world from the Hunger Games. I am the victim who gets saved by someone who would come and seek me out. But, what if as a church, as Jesus followers, we are actually the ones who have rejected the invitation to love the least, the lost, and the lonely? Because we're too busy looking after the things we value. What if, hypothetical, not pointing my finger, what if we're the ones, what if, what if we're not the ones who were in the streets and the gutters? Maybe we can relate to them, maybe we are. What if we're not the one going out and getting them? We can relate to them, maybe sometimes. But maybe, you know, what if we're the people who rejected the invitation? Some of us say, my field is my ministry. My business is my ministry. Some of us say, my oxen are my ministry. Those in my vicinity. Some of us even say, and I've heard this one a lot, my marriage is my ministry. And we've been taught all of this, and all of this is good. We've been taught all of this, and all of this is good. But, you listening? I've said but a lot, and I've said it very emphatically. But if we stop there, my job is my ministry, my vicinity is my ministry, my marriage is my ministry. If we stop there, we miss out on getting to take part in one of the most beautiful and miraculous events God has given us to take part in. We miss out on the opportunity to get in close proximity with people who are different than us, who are created by God like us, and who need just as much as we need them. They need us just as much as we need them to understand what God's kingdom is all about. It takes diversity to even begin to catch a glimpse of what God's kingdom might look like. So Jesus does a lot with the meal throughout Scripture. You guys know this, meal is ministry. He's drinking water with the Samaritan woman. Shouldn't be doing that. He's eating at Zacchaeus' house. Shouldn't be doing that. Much of what Jesus does, he's having a last supper with his disciples and he's telling them some crazy stuff. Much of Jesus' ministry is the meal. Meal is time to experience transformation for Jesus. Meal is time to step into something that would actually challenge you and transform you to look across the table into someone's eyes and understand that we are both created in God's image. And then Jesus goes as far as to say, every time you eat a meal, remember what I did and how I brought everyone to an equal playing field and remember that I am the one who covers all of your sin and I am the one who rose from the dead and I am the bread of life and I am 
the one who loves and be transformed to be like me every time you eat a meal. And we have taken that idea and we've shaped it to fit into our schedules. We've taken that idea of the meal and we've, we've shaped it to fit into our schedule, Sunday morning communion, cookouts, dinners with friends, and we've made it happen with people who are like us, who enjoy the same things as us. And to be completely honest, people who we feel safe around. And not all of that is bad. It's not all bad. It's fun. But Jesus wants us to follow his way. And his way, you know, Jesus represents the servant in the parable. The one who goes out. Jesus wants us to represent his way. He wants us to go out into the streets and the gutters and find those who would never get invited. He wants us to go out and find those who would never get invited and here's the practical solution of the kingdom of God in one way, and have a meal with them. Kids, adults, anybody ever feel not invited? It hurts. It's a terrible feeling. We can relate to each other because we know what it feels like to feel not invited. And there are some people who live in that existence every single day, over and over and over and over. And Jesus brings this concept of the meal, the classroom, lunchroom, where the kid's sitting in the corner and no one will eat with them. And Jesus says, let my kingdom come. Jesus wants us, as a matter of fact, Jesus has designed us to find the uninvited and change their identity. And he's given us the power to do that, to compel people to come and eat with us. He gave Adam the story in Genesis. He gave him the power to name all of the animals and give them identity. And here's a really supernatural, miraculous way to give someone an identity Here's a person who's never been invited. Hi, I would like to invite you to something, to a meal with me. Some type of magical shift happens. I'm sure smoke appears and lasers shoot out and angels start swarming around and their identity changes from uninvited to invited. And God has given us this supernatural, miraculous power to invite people who are different than us. You hearing that part? Something happens when you invite someone who never gets invited. Their identity changes from uninvited to invited. That's a good feeling. That's a really good feeling. When you step away from your field, I know I need to check on my field, but I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of my field because his name is Jehovah Jireh. I know I need my oxen. They're, they're important. But I'm going to trust God with them for a little bit. I'm going to spend my time and energy over here inviting the uninvited to share a meal. 
because God says he, he's our healer, Jehovah Rapha. I know I just got married and I got a family and I've been told that's your main ministry, you gotta focus on it, but I'm gonna actually take that marriage and I'm gonna take that family and we're gonna pull someone else in who's been uninvited so they can see healthy family and they can walk with us and they can be a part of that and we're gonna change their identity. We're gonna change the way we shift our time and energy. We're gonna watch less Netflix. And I mean this in a very literal sense. Much of Jesus' ministry was centered around the meal, and we are called to do the same with our ministry. So who are you going to have a meal with? You knew that was coming. Who are you going to have a meal with? Are you going to change your lifestyle and the way you think about the banquet? Are you going to make the banquet great? again. I mean, I'm serious. Like before, when the invitation went out, it was going to be the okay banquet. Like the master prepared this banquet. It was going to be a banquet. People were going to come. They were going to say, been to a lot of banquets before. That was one of the better ones. It was a good banquet. I liked it. I liked the food. What'd you think? I don't know. We're friends. Let's talk about it. But it changes from okay, just it changes from banquet to great banquet because there's a shift in who's there. Can you imagine like how many people never been, un- crippled people, they can't even walk to the banquet, much less be allowed in. People who don't have the right clothes, they have to be compelled, please come to this banquet. I don't have the right clothes, I've never even worn a suit. Please come, we have some for you. I don't, I don't know, I kind of smell. It's fine, it doesn't matter, we just want you there, whatever it is. And then the, the, the guy walks in the door and he's like, you know what? I've heard about banquets before, and I never thought they were any good, but this banquet is great. This banquet is awesome. I want to be at this banquet. I'm going to go tell my friends. Guys, it doesn't matter how you look or smell or dress or how people perceive you or if you've been labeled criminal. You can come to this banquet, and it's a great banquet. And they'd be like, really? Are you serious? No, yeah, I need to. Com- I understand I had to be compelled too. I need to compel you to come to this banquet too because you've got to believe me, it's kind of risky. That sounds like a great banquet. It is a great banquet. It's a great banquet because everything changed. The people who were there changed and everyone who was at that banquet told all their friends and then the parable gets titled, The Great Banquet. That's why it was great. The people who were there, the people who were invited, To the people who initially declined the invitation, the way they might want to make the banquet great again is through having a do-over. Let's make the banquet great again. Do-over. We're going to go back to how we used to be. Give me another chance and I will come this time and I will come with my friends and we will create a space where we feel safe together and where we help each other study God's word and we will grow together and then we will tell each other, this is great. You don't stand a chance against the thousands of people who will hear that that other banquet was great. Because to the people who were in the streets and the guttered and the crippled gutters and crippled and the roads and the country lanes, making the banquet great again might be to them actually turning 
and joining Jesus in his quest to fill the banquet hall with as many least lost and lonely people as possible. you got to say amen. To them, the banquet was great. Making the banquet great again would be turning around and doing the Jesus way and going back out into the streets and the gutters and having another great banquet. Let's make this banquet great again. Let's do the same thing. Let's go out in the streets and the gutters. Let's get more people. So much so that there's no room for anyone who has an inability to see past themselves. It can only be great if it's all unconditional. It can only be great if you can look at someone and not label them at all. If there's not like, he's a uh, man. He's a man created in God's image. She's a uh, woman. She is a woman created in God's image. That is what makes a banquet great. So my final questions for you this morning are who are the crippled people in the streets and the gutters and who are the ones on the roads and the country lanes? Are they friends with disabilities who never get invited to someone's home for dinner because it feels too awkward? Are they a family of a different ethnicity or race that maybe you feel like you have nothing in common with? Or maybe you have fear. Are they the ones who have been labeled illegal by society, but who when God looks at their heart, they actually look exactly like you and me? Yeah, but they're illegal. But when God looks at their heart, they look exactly like you and me. Yes, but they're ill. When God looks at their heart, they look exactly like you and me. Do I need to have that conversation more? You guys get it? Yes, but when God looks at the heart, looks exactly like you and me. What if I told you that a very good friend of mine who is undocumented, or as many of us would say, an illegal immigrant. I don't know why that's such a thing. Just say they're illegal. What if a friend of mine, what if I told you the friend of mine, which he did, who is undocumented, and who many would say is an illegal immigrant, told me that he believes that between 30 and 40% of illegal immigrants who come to this country find a relationship with Jesus once they're here. To that, I say, welcome to the great banquet. You see, sometimes in order for us to understand why Jesus would even call a banquet like this great, when the whole thing initially looked like a failure, we have to get in close proximity with those we are most afraid of. We have to get in close proximity with those we are uncomfortable with and even those we have accused and marked criminal. And we have to share a meal. I can't stress that enough. We have to share a meal and we have to listen to a story so that we can hopefully experience the miracle of being able to look across a table into someone else's eyes, stripping away all labels, and like Jesus, love. And love in a way so unconditional that people that we are looking at 
know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this love came from Jesus. Most people who I know who have a difficult time loving the least, the lost, and the lonely of the world simply don't know the least, the lost, and the lonely of the world. They've never gotten in close proximity. They've never shared a meal. And they can only speak in labels, and they can only speak in adjectives who will first define a person before they say their name. And many times they do not even know their name. And most people who I know who have experienced the greatest miracles, and I'm talking supernatural stuff now, most people I know who have experienced the greatest miracles and love and transformation have mostly done this in circumstances where they've found themselves fully committed to loving the least and the lost and the lonely. Last week, Rob preached about becoming new wineskins. Allowing this new wine from the parable of the great banquet to be poured into an old wineskin that still conforms to the patterns of this world and doesn't let God transform us by renewing the way that we think will be unable to know his will because it will be an old wineskin that when that new wine is poured in, it can't take it, it doesn't understand it, and it explodes and lets all of that good wine leak out. In order to become a new wineskin, in order to become someone who allows this banquet to become great again, we have to be people who get in close proximity with the least and the lost and the lonely. And we must stop labeling. It's all about proximity. The reason Jesus' ministry was a meal ministry was because he wanted to eat with people so that he could be in proximity with people so that he could let them know that he actually truly did know them, so that they could believe that he actually truly did love them, so that everyone could be in the same place at the same time, even though they were all from different places. And that was called the kingdom of God coming to earth. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out online at theriver.info.